Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, guys. Happy Friday. DGS 204. Because Wheel said when he came back in, like, I get sad. I know that there are listeners out there who don't like when we laugh. And uh, like I've told my boss, Steve, I've been doing this almost 25 years now. And the show is... It, I'm proud that we can do philosophy and religion and politics and serious things, but it's always been a light show. And so I also didn't know that a lady got mad enough to call in and break you about me saying that uh, Reba McIntyre looked like the little drummer boy. So that was a, that was a guy. So we've the, we've had two mean calls this past week. One of them was a guy who was very beside himself. I wonder angry. whether he's a big fan of Reba or the little drummer boy or both or. It sounded more like Reba. Okay. But I thought that was very strange because it's just, you don't really think of... a lot of passion. Yeah. Like, to borrow a phrase that, like, kids use, you don't think of Reba having, like, shooters, you know what I mean? Like, people who will <laughs> people who will really fight for you mm. and defend you. You don't really think of Reba having that, especially mm. in a place like St. Louis. But now he was, we know. Yeah. I mean, we... If, well, if, who is, what was the other person? If Reba about? has one fan, it's him. Uh... The other person said my laugh was disgusting. Oh, wow. That's horrible. Which yeah. was it's so mean. Yeah. What's then, wrong with you? And then I, I was like, to say that. And then I was like, oh, that that that's me. I, I'm the one doing that. And she goes, oh, well, dial it back. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah. I will say I saw the Reba voice commercials, Dave, and I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Right? Because Gwen Stefani's like, I have two country hits. And Reba's like, I've got more than two. Mm. I can't do the voice like Andrew can. That's That's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, do you have that that blinking sound? So yeah. I, I wanted to run this by you. Um, so I was a lawyer who got a radio show, who played in a band for twenty years, and does stand up, and plays drums and guitar, and sings. And yet, when other people do stuff that isn't what they do, I'm always really like, "Oh, really, Sally?" <laughs> which I really, com- which I completely get the hypocrisy of. Uh, Adam Wainwright's going to do a concert this weekend, but. Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, uh, plays guitar and sings, and he had some, I think it was the Millie uh, deal, got up with the band and played, and it really bothered me. Not in a, like, you suck, Anthony Blinken, you're a terrible guitar player. Um, I don't want to see my Secretary of State do stuff like that. That's kind of one of the main reasons that uh, Bill Clinton got elected, because he played saxophone on Arsenio, and people were like, you're like a real guy. Um, Go ahead and play a little bit of it. So he can play, he can sing, I just don't want him to. Yeah, that's fair. I don't want the guy who's like, 
in charge negotiating of, with China. Yeah, I don't want him saying I'm a hoochie coochie man under any <laughs> <laughs> under any circumstances. Thank you. You know, like I totally wait, wait got it. Wait until you're out of office. Yeah, like he sounds fine, but it's <clears> like <throat> mm, let someone else do it. Well, it's kind of like I, Fetterman. He was responding to all of the all of the discourse about the Senate dress code. And everyone was, like, super happy that they settled on this formal dress code, which I'm happy about it, too. I think that's the right thing to do. Mm, me, too. But he just responded by tweeting out a picture of Kevin James, which is, like, the the popular meme right now yeah. is to just tweet a picture of Kevin James from the King of Queens. And I'm looking at that situation going, like, you have every right to do it, but I have every right to think that it's tacky Beneath and short. Yeah, and, like, short-sighted. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be funny in two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's a very, like flash-in-the-pan type of meme type of joke. And I just find it weird that a public official would, like, plant their flag with something like that. It just, it feels very frivolous and just, I don't know. All of it's time and place, right? Like, if you want to equivalent, like, I I like a job where I get to dress down. I'm wearing an R2-D2 t-shirt today, right? Like, I like that. But I'm not going to wear this to a funeral. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to wear it to someone's wedding. Unless it's the guy who played R2-D2. Which would be amazing, (laughs) yes. Um, But that's kind of the point is there are times when your expectation is about meeting what makes sense for everyone else. You can still be Joe Working Man, and when you go out on the campaign trail, you're in your hoodie and your shorts, and you can still do all of that 99% of the time. But in that 1%, when you're expected to, to, to be what people would call respectful, you do it. Because that's what everybody has to do. All human beings have to do that. Did you guys, <clears throat> did you guys see the uh, the story about the Robin Hood tree? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very sad. It's called the Robin Hood tree because uh, when Kevin Costner played Robin Hood, that was the tree that they used. Uh, Hadron's Wall <clears throat> It comes down into this uh, gully, and it's uh, about 400 years old. It's the something-something tree. <clears throat> I, I forget the actual name of it. It was named Tree of the Year in 2016. Something, is it the Gap Tree? Uh, no, well, Something about like a gap. That. Hadron's Gap. Yeah, something So like anyway, uh, it looks like a 16-year-old kid cut it down with a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the middle of the night. Yeah. 200-year-old tree. And interestingly, they're saying they might be able to save it. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I mean, I kind of wondered that because I was reading the story earlier, and obviously it's horrible, and obviously, you know, stupid stupid kids who aren't, don't have the ability to have foresight yet are, you know, destroying priceless, you know, artifacts and, and things. But I wondered if they could just, like, glue that sucker back together. I never considered it, but they're... I just saw an article saying that there's some modern way they're going to try it. Let's hope so. What should happen to that kid, assuming he doesn't have some sort of, like, diagnosed mental illness or something? He's just a jackass 16-year-old kid. What would happen to a kid if he just took a chainsaw to someone's car or to their house? Because that's the level of vandalism we're talking about. I mean, it's an historic place, right? It It wasn't just someone's tree in their backyard. I mean, this was... A place where tourists go. This is a place that held some meaning. But people's houses and cars and stuff, they have, like, property value assigned to them. Yeah. So and I would can, say that an historic... Like and I would the family. Right, but I would say an historic site is more important than my car. Do you think More important than my house. Should ever have any culpability for things like that when their kids do something like that? I mean, they have to assume... Like, here, like Kevin's talking about, it would be the parents, right? Mm-hmm. If a kid chainsawed uh, someone's car in half, the parents would have to assume financial responsibility for the kid chainsawing. But that, that kid car. would also be in real trouble, right? I mean, maybe juvenile detention, maybe something. 
I mean, like it should be it should be something that's not just like, well, it was just a tree. It's not. It's not just a tree. It's not just a fountain when you're in Rome and you're dancing in the Trevi fountain. It's not when you're, you know, carving your initials into the Colosseum. Like those things aren't just trivial vandalism. Those are serious things. A uh, different story. iPhone is negotiating with ChatGPT in the next three years to come out with the first AI iPhone. Any uh, what would that do? I don't know. They didn't go into much detail about, and then you could X, Y, Z. But I think it's sort of like what George from ThrivalNet has always talked about. Uh, it would be the beginning of having your entire life on your phone. And his example has been that uh, you get an alert saying, "Hey, you're you're out of your uh, you're out of your cholesterol medication. Uh, you have an extra ten minutes in your day before you meet Rachel for dinner. There's a Walgreens on the way. I'm going ahead and called in a prescription for you, and you can pick it up. Like that kind of stuff. So it's like upgraded Siri, I guess. Basically, well, that's cool. And then kind of like Jarvis, because now that ChatGPT can speak. Uh, and in three years, I would think it will be much farther down the road. If, if they're talking about 15 years until the singularity where it's far smarter than us. Mm-hmm. And as George says, it'll be the last thing we ever invent. Uh, but it would be a lot like Iron Man's Jarvis. Like you would be talking to it. It would be talking to you in a way exponentially more than what like Siri does. Did you guys see the latest from the metaverse? I just thought that uh, Zuckerberg did a... He did a podcast Podcast. with Lex Friedman, and I watched like maybe five minutes of it last night. And they they were in the metaverse or what Mm -hmm. they want the metaverse to be like. It is way cooler than the original prototypes that we saw before. It's not animated anymore. It's they do a scan of your face, Mm -hmm. so it just looks like you. It it really looks like Mark Zuckerberg, and it really looks like. Wonder why they even came out with the Animal Crossing looking one. Well, I think that's what the technology could do. And even the thing that they were showing us on this podcast is not possible right now. You would have to go to like a center and have your whole body scanned for about three or four. Like what we were talking about earlier in the week when I said, by the time Phoebe has a job and moves away somewhere, uh, that I would be able to put on a set of VR glasses and have a real visit with her. It wouldn't be the same, but like how my mom gets lonely and go visit her. Mm -hmm. But in between then, it's just phone calls. Uh, Yeah. I mean, good good for us when we're old wheels. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how they were just using it as a simple voice chat. Yeah. Or, you know, like just sit next to each other and have a conversation. And that's cool, but that's not the goal. The goal is to be a completely immersive experience. And like yeah. if you want to, I don't know, go bowling or something in well, the metaverse. you know, they have those, uh, and I don't know because I, I honestly haven't used them, but they have those things where you can have sexual contact with someone across the planet. You're wearing a suit. They're wearing a suit, blah, blah, blah. So if you weren't going to use it for that and you're going to use it for, you know, putting your grandkids on your knee and playing horsey kind of thing, we should be able to do that kind of stuff, too, where you really, really do feel pretty close to fully immersed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be great, right? Like, that's the kind of upside of the coming, you know, AI apocalypse that we're always hearing about. The upside would be stuff like that. Stuff like if you have family in a totally different country. I feel bad for kids right now, Phoebe's age. You know, freshman year in college, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, half the things they choose aren't going to even be there, which I've tried to instill in her, but she's 18 and, Mm -hmm. you know, like she's... 
She has bigger priorities oh. than AI taking her job in four years. Well, do you remember about a year ago, I was like, I should pay $13,000 and go to this coding yes. boot camp and learn this skill. And then I was talking to George about it a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I was right not to do that, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, AI is just taking over most of those positions. But for the longest time, that's what you heard, like, learn to code. It's the future. Well, now we have Chappie GPT. We so, don't really need it as much. Speaking of technology, Elon went to the border today. And wore a cowboy hat backwards. Yeah, I've got the I've got the sound of it. Okay, you wanna? Uh, obviously Elon here. Um, I'm uh, at Eagle Pass. Uh, just arrived, and um, we're we're just gonna go around and and talk to the um, the, the major officials uh, and, and law enforcement and whatnot that uh, are here as and, and just kind of. Eyeball the situation, get a sense for what's going on, and and uh, so you can get the kind of like the real story. You know what you cannot take away from him is his charisma. <laughs> I mean, the man just lights up a room. Uh, he, he sounded yeah, he, like a kid making up a report in school when he was talking there. Also, right after that, he this Twitter video that streamed that he was streaming froze, and uh, he evidently sent out an entire company wide email right after that. All happened. twenty people. That's right. That said just three words. It said, please fix this. Mm. <laughs> What's he doing? He's just being an iconoclast, I guess. Like, but doing him. Why does he... Who cares what he thinks? A, he's not an elected official, but what purpose could he even serve there? Well, he's bringing us the truth, according to him. He's showing us the full but story. Why would, why would any official talk to him? Because he's the richest guy in the world. But yeah. if you're in a... Same reason why he was like... Talking to Russia and Ukraine at the but same time. But this is kind of my like, point. He has access. Yeah, yeah this is kind of my world. point. Like, somebody who's in an official capacity should not be talking to a private citizen. I'll say this. Without um, permission. I think we're lucky that he is the closest thing to a supervillain that we have. That he's weird. There's no doubt about it. And I don't like the fact that he's stopping attacks in any war from anyone on anyone. Um, but... The richest guy in the world could be even weirder and evil. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't like, that could be a real Xerxes kind of thing. I don't yeah. think of Elon as evil. I think no, of him I don't as either. incredibly misguided on a lot of fronts and uh, egomaniac and, you know, someone who likes to waste money. But I don't think of him as like a malicious force. Exactly. But I know a lot of people do. I'm, I'm torn. I'll be yeah. honest. I don't I, think he I, necessarily knows that he's a malicious force. You can be very damaging without having intent. I mean, like he just damage. fired their entire elections integrity group at, at Twitter. The people that would look for misinformation and disinformation just fired them all. You know, I think he's malicious in the fact that he does not care about anything but himself and attention for himself. I think so uh, it doesn't, he doesn't care about what he might damage. Impulsivity, having it myself, which is one reason I should never be in any sort of actual position of power uh but that is really what bothers me about trump and i it was kind of hit on it talking about elon and i started to say the richest guy in the world shouldn't should have better impulse control than that and the president of the united states also should um yeah we could argue that if you're that rich you probably don't have impulse control why is that well to get to that i think you would have to be pretty much you're going to do what you want to do when you want to do and you don't care really what what the results of it are 
Do we have this kind of disdain, though, for like a Bill Gates who is always getting involved in social issues and kind of doing the same thing just on the other side of the political spectrum? It's a good question. Hmm. Fair question. Because I, I just don't, I mean, I see it from people on the right. They really hate Bill Gates and think that he's like putting poisons in the vaccines and stuff. But I mean, we don't seem to have I, that same like, what does he think he's doing? It's just because he's less visible. I think, yeah, for me at least, like I... I didn't even know his politics. To me, when I think of Bill Gates, I think of like a brown paper lunch bag. He's just so nothing to me. He's not putting on a cowboy hat and going down to the border. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't like that any of them have influence just because they're rich. That's not okay. I mean, we we prop our country up like, hey, one person, one vote. But it's not the reality. If you're super wealthy, you literally have billions of votes. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, the person or persons who said, uh, let's get Yunkin in there. We're going to fund the whole thing, you know, and and now it could be, I don't think it's going to be, but could be like a sea change. I agree. 224 DGS, Stairway to Kevin at the bottom, Ricky Horton uh, at 245, Hancock and Kelly are coming in at three. Uh, just some fun facts, some more fun Here. than others. Uh, a drug to help regrow teeth is now begun its first human trials. Hmm. So they could have it on the market by 2030. It was just about when I lose my teeth. Um, <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah like Grow that. back your own teeth? Yeah. I'm done with that. Which would you rather have, assuming you were bald? Regrow your teeth or regrow your hair? Teeth. Boy, tough call, but I'd say teeth. I mean, I think a lot of people, not sucking up, Dave, but a lot of people look good bald. It's no big deal, but it's hard to do things without my teeth. Yeah, like it's I wouldn't true. mind being bald. I had the I shaved my head a few years ago. I did kind of liked it, uh, but teeth would be. I mean, you can't really you can't talk as well. You can't eat obviously. Like you need teeth. Researchers in Brazil found a dog fox hybrid. Until now, experts didn't think that they could crossbreed. Hmm, it's pretty cool. Like, wish I could see in a the picture. wild or captivity. Like, don't know. That's all the info I got. Huh. This is a crazy story. A Pennsylvania man who threatened to kill his neighbors was sentenced to house arrest across the street from the same neighbors he threatened to kill. The neighbors say that they are, quote, very on edge right now. (laughs) What kind of solution is that? He's just looking out the picture window at him. Uh Crazy. (laughs) Uh, D.C.'s National Zoo is set to send back three giant pandas, which were on loan from China which will make it the first time in over 50 years that there are no pandas in the U.S. We're pandaless. Ah. Hmm. Would never have guessed that. I'm tired of Taco Bell jerking us around. Uh-oh. What I love the do? bell. Uh, the nacho fries are back for limited mm-hmm. time. Also adding vegan nacho sauce next week. I just get That's tired wonderful. of this marketing strategy. Take it away, give it back, take it away, give it that yeah. kind of thing. Like McDonald's, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Ronald started it with the McRib, but yeah. now they're um, all kind of doing it. Did you see there was a fake news story claiming that the McRib was coming back and then McDonald's <laughs> had to set the record straight earlier oh. this week and say, no, it is not coming back I'm but very, until it comes back. I'm very excited for this vegan cheese sauce because that means that my wife will be able to eat it. Yeah. And that's like, a, that's a big deal for her. She'll be very excited about it. But I, it should be there forever as should all the good items. And I don't understand. I guess it's just a creating that demand so that yeah. you want to I mean, go more. And We're talking them. about it. Yeah. Yep. Average parent gives into their kids' demands 218 times a year. That sounds low. I was going to say, it also, what percentage is that? The average parent also has 190 wins a year, or just under four per week, meaning your kid doesn't want to do something, and you get them to do it anyway. That's a losing record. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the problem with society nowadays is parents have a losing record. I don't think I had a losing record against my kid. 233 DGS, happy Friday to you. Uh, our buddies at El Monstero ask if we would mention that their uh, winter show tickets go on sale today at Ticketmaster.com. Shows are December 21st through the 23rd, December 28th through the 30th, and they have a VIP uh, sound check experience, which you can add on to your ticket. I would suggest also, this may sound kind of weird, uh, take your kids. Um, I took Nick when he was really young. This year, Phoebe's going to go, and I guarantee you Phoebe cannot name one Pink Floyd song, but kids Phoebe's age typically don't get to see live music much at all, especially something of that uh, high production value and musicianship, and uh, yeah, I just think it's a great experience. I think she's going to love it, and I would encourage you guys to do the same. Have you seen it? You ever seen it? No, but this year I'm not traveling for Christmas, so this might actually work. Oh, man. You'd dig it. Yeah. I don't even like Pink Floyd that much, uh, and Monstero turned me into more of a Pink Floyd fan. The first time I saw him with my brother. Uh, my brother's been gone for 21 years now, so that's how long ago it's been. Wow. Uh, stairway to Kevin. All right. So I saw this thing yesterday on Twitter. It's not new. It's not some recently uncovered thing. It's made the rounds before, but I saw it after we talked about the debates and the clown show that it was and how... So many unserious, seemingly unserious people are are in positions where they get to make really important decisions. I mean, we've we're, are the government's going to shut down this weekend, right? Will that affect me directly? Probably not. Indirectly, sure, because like road construction can stop and things like that. But it's going to affect millions and millions of people because people are playing politics. But I saw this old proverb. Apparently, it's a Turkish proverb. I think fits the big picture. It's not about any one office or one person, but it fits the big picture. It says when a clown moves into a palace, he doesn't become a sultan. The palace becomes a circus. Mm, I like that. And I mean, that fits. I mean, this is old too. Like it's been around for centuries and it completely fits what we're looking at. That when you let goofy people into positions that are supposed to be important, it's going to be a circus. It, they don't suddenly become responsible. They don't suddenly become kingly. They don't we suddenly assume that level of seriousness. It's just that everything around them becomes more ridiculous. I mean, is that not what we're looking at? Sounds right on to me. And what do we do? Like we, So the reason I wanted to bring it up is this saying being this old means people knew this a long time ago. This is not a new idea. But yet... All of us are just... But one man's clown is another man's savior. You know? I mean... I guess. I think Gates is a clown. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is a clown. But there are people who absolutely think that they are fighting the good fight. And that people like McCarthy uh, are the establishment and they need to be overthrown. And they're doing exactly the right thing. And it's like a modern-day Boston Tea Party. And as I always say, uh, I'm humble enough to admit that maybe I'm wrong on this. I don't have all the answers from from where I'm sitting. Gates and MTG don't look like the good guys, but I'm always willing to listen. Maybe it's just that we're the whole our species. We're just clowns in that metaphorical way. Well, like I, since I, the dawn of I mean, because again, this is an old saying. This isn't a new thing. We've seen this 
in ancient empires that have fallen. We've seen this in other places where... To, to broaden your point out, I was thinking about this today. Think about the level to which our modern life is based on consumption of everything. You know, we, we are consumers by nature. Just go back 300,000 years when we're walking on the savannah. We spend all day finding something to consume. But now think about how little time we spend not consuming something, whether it's food or it's content on your phone or it's a podcast or it's a television show or you're binge watching something. Think about how little time we spend. Uh, like you get in the car with someone, you grab your phone, you get into an elevator, you grab your phone, you said you go to the doctor's office, oh, we'll be with you in five minutes, grab your phone. We're constantly, constantly consuming things. And I think that when you have such a voracious appetite, you will consume things you normally wouldn't have. You know, normally we wouldn't have consumed Matt Gates and Margie Taylor Green or Naked Attraction on HBO, but we're just give me more, give me more, give me more. Uh, it's like giving your dog potato chips. He's never going to stop, you know, and that's what we've become, like a dog eating potato chips. I don't know. People like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene were elected by a relatively small number of people. I mean, they're they're in the House, so they were elected by the people who live in those areas. It's just we have to deal with them. And all I can control is the way I respond to that. I, I used to get a lot more, like, triggered by this kind of thing than I do now. And then I realized that was making me incredibly unhappy. So now it's like, okay, I'm just going to ignore their rhetoric whenever I possibly can because... It doesn't make me any happier to, like, shoot it down or, like, I got them. All it does is create more of a I've spectacle gotten, around the situation. I've gotten better about it, too, um, where I will roll my eyes, but I don't feel the need to do anything about it. But when it has real-life circumstances, like the shutdown, that's yeah. when, to me, it gets serious. And I'm really looking forward to uh, Michael and John getting here because I just don't know what it's all about. I know that the little Republican squad has uh, uh, demands, but I don't know what they are or how reasonably they think they're going to get them or you know what I'm saying. So I want to hear kind of chapter and verse what they're actually fighting about. Well, then you have former President Trump saying that if they don't get all of their demands, they should push forward with the shutdown. I mean... And that's part of what bothers me about this is that the fight supersedes other people's needs because millions of people will be hurt by that, right? I mean, like people, some of the assistance programs for people that use SNAP or WIC are not going to have I guess those they, things I working. Guess they must, and both both sides have done this. Um, it's not a Republican problem, but I guess they must look at it the way striking workers look at it. That, look, a lot of people are going to be hurt, but we have to take this stand because the way things are right now are not acceptable. So we're going to go on strike. We're going to shut down, you know, auto plants. We're going to shut down Netflix uh, and, and movie production so that we can get something fair. That has to be the same type of logic that the people who are pushing for the shutdown have that look things are so bad that we know people are going to be hurt but we'll be better off in the long run except that the striking workers actually make a sacrifice themselves 
because yeah. they're not getting paid when they're doing it. They lose Which their is a good point. Ridiculous. Yeah, this whole thing is set up to where they can play these games and they don't feel it at all. And that's this is probably the last thing our economy needs right now is a government shutdown. I mean, we've got enough going on and it feels like we're hanging by a yeah. thread. Yeah. I just it, it, and in bigger picture like tying all of this kind of stuff together, is it just a cycle? You mean the phase we're in like, now? Yeah, like yesterday we talked about how sometimes everything gets too big and then it needs to shrink back down. Is this part of a cycle? Because get no empires ever lasted. I wouldn't say that we're an empire, but you know what I mean. Like no culture has ever lasted infinitely. Mm-hmm. They all go through changes. They get big, 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 and then they shrink back down. Some of them go away entirely. Others just shrink back down into something more manageable, more reasonable. Are we just in that part of a cycle where this is not necessarily quote unquote the end, but it's just one of those difficult times because it's such a big. Num- to, I mean, so many things, so many people under the same umbrella. We can talk to the guys about this at three, but to me, this is a fight between moderates and extremists. And to me, I would define a moderate as we have many times: people who play between the forty-yard lines, and the extremists are the, the ones who play outside the twenties. And so, I, I don't consider myself to have enemies. Uh, but I would say that uh, the people on the fringes on both sides are far more my enemies than either party within the 40s. You feel me on yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And so to me, that's what it's about. It's about the difference between people who are, uh, I would define moderates and independents as being more reasonable and and uh, more problem solvers. Uh, but the people on, like I've, I've always said, the people, every single person thinks they're right about every single thing, about whether it's creamy or crunchy peanut butter. Otherwise, you would pick the other one. And so the people on the fringes aren't doing it because they're evil. They're doing it because they think they're right. And they think that I'm a wishy-washy, mushy-mouthed wuss who can't take a stand. So I don't fault them in the way that I think that they're, like, evil people. No, no. I just think that it's a battle for the hearts and minds of the American public. But I don't know who's going to win. Like, in 20 years, we get back to, you know, picking centrists and, and, and prizing people who can cross party lines. Or are we even farther out on the fringe? I don't know. And that scares me as someone who will be retired and have kids in the mainstream who will have to, you know, deal with it. I mean, it almost feels like it it inevitably has to go back to a more moderate, maybe moderate's not the right word, but just a more traditional way of governing. Because if everyone's on the fringes and everyone is pushing for just what they want, I mean, you're just going to see shutdown after shutdown, right? I mean, you can't really move forward. We just keep switching sides. Yeah, if you just have whiplash back and forth between like, we're doing this. Nope, now we're doing this. It was like like when we were little kids and we played croquet and you got the chance to send somebody who had sent you where you hit it as hard as you can. You send their ball down the hill and they're screwed. We just keep doing that to each other. Yeah. Like, oh, you're in power and you're scre- you're screwing me over. Wait till I'm in power. You're going to get it back. And I know we've always done that. Always. All humans have. And whatever the glory days are for you, whether it was Reagan or Clinton or Bush or Obama, they they did the same thing. It's just that they're sending the ball so much farther, so much faster now. It's also frustrating, too, because the extremes, the the very extremes are always 
the irrational side. They can you can think you're right all you want, but I mean if you're if you're quote unquote right, you should be able to prove it. Right? If something is correct, if something is right, it should be provable. Well, that's and I'm talking about policy. I'm not talking I about know, belief systems or whatever. That's why we really are living in sort of a post-truth society that it's exceedingly difficult, if not impossible, to bring any sort of quote-unquote evidence to either side on the fringe and have them go, oh, holy crap, I yeah. didn't realize this. Yeah. They're just going to say they're fake facts. Yeah. Which, mm. which, if you tried that 20 years ago, you'd get laughed at. You do it now, and people go, oh, okay. Yeah, and I guess the, the the next step is how long do the rest of us let them run the show? It because, all comes down to elections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, it's again, it seems like the solutions would be pretty simple. I think to, they are. To take the hands, to take the stuff out of the extremes and put it back into I, the I larger groups. I think it's what Hancock and Kelly have said a gazillion times on the show. It's the primaries. But, I, look, it's also pretty easy to lose weight. But I don't do it the way I should. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the the I know the way to lose weight is I eat less and I move my body more. That's really simple. Doing it is difficult. I in in the same way, I know that the way to get rid of the extremes are for the people in the center to go to primaries and vote in the primaries so that people so that centrists have a chance. But will we do it? I don't know. Yeah, but even then, I mean, it's also how districts are drawn, right? I mean, we draw squiggly lines to make them turn to make sure that each seat is going to be solid held, no matter how crazy the person is. If they have the right color on their, uh, you know, right color pin on their lapel, they're going to get voted in. And the thing that feels so hopeless about that is people on both sides of the aisle and moderates alike are like, well, no, let's not mess with the way we draw the districts now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 250 DGS. Rick, how are you feeling, pal? I'm doing great, Dave. I'm uh, excited. I'm actually headed to the ballpark right now. Excellent. Nice. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, so the first question I want to ask you and Wheels is about the umping. I wouldn't know anything about it except for TikTok. And, of course, yep. they don't show you the great calls that umps make. But what bothers me is, I mean, you know, you're going to have good calls, bad calls every game. But we're seeing guys thrown out more and more for giving the ump uh, a look or making a noise because of a, a ball strike or something like that. Do you guys think this is just business as usual? We're just seeing it more often, or is there a real ump problem in the MLB? Well, I, I'd be interested in your thoughts, Kevin. I'll, I'll start. I, I just think, you know, the reality is that umpires have been uh, yelled at and booed for about six months, and they get touchier. I mean, I really do think that's true. You think about how long a season it is for them. We talk about it from a player's point of view, but they're on the road the entire summer. I mean, the entire summer. And I think they just sometimes they get uh, they get cranky at the end of the year. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Now, so that's kind of maybe the why of throwing people out in terms of the zone. Uh, I do think umpires, and I and I'm in the minority here. I think umpires are the. I'm going to say the same as they were in my era. We just have more scrutiny because we everybody is an expert because of the Fox Box or whatever that thing is called. Yeah. That we can see we can see exactly whether it's a strike or a ball. Where you know, 30 years ago, you watch that game, you don't even literally don't think about it. In fact, you're not even watching the strike zone. You're watching the batter and his hands and his eyes and the catcher's movement, and you're actually watching baseball a little more than a box. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I would agree too. I mean, people forget the Eric Greg Greg Maddox game. You oh, know, right. I mean, Greg oh, Maddox. Greg yeah. Maddox was getting strikes eight nine inches off the plate, and it was very yeah. obvious. That stuff has always happened, Rick. I, I and I won't put you on the spot to to talk about any particular names. 
My yeah. my biggest beef is is what Dave talked about is the is the the hair trigger. You got nobody's yeah. there to see you. Nobody cares about your feelings. Just call the game. Yeah. But certain guys are really terrible, and they're terrible every year, and they never go away. Well, that, that's you know that's the Supreme Court justice problem. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's a, now I do. They are scrutinized. They are scrutinized. I do know that. I mean, they don't publicize that, which bothers us. But you know, maybe we don't. Maybe we shouldn't know that. I don't know. But but the point is, you know, it, it was very clear. Again, thirty years ago, it was clear. You could say, um, okay, you could say that was a blank blanking call. And you could get away with that, but if you said that you are a blank blank, then you get tossed. And yeah. it was like it was clear, clear as a bell. Honestly, it wasn't written down everywhere anywhere. You can't write that in a rule book because you don't you don't want to say what those words are. But it was like the George Carlin thing. There yeah. were several words you could not say to an umpire. <laughs> the line. And if you said those, and if you called them that, you were automatically out. Everything else, they just kind of kind of let you go. So, Rick, uh, at least for the Cardinals, the season will be over uh, after the weekend. What did you guys do in the offseason? How long would you go without even picking up a baseball? And what's the difference uh, today with today's players? We would go further. We would go longer without picking up a baseball. I know that they start much sooner than we do. They'll, they'll start doing things. And, and baseball-related activities is the, is the phrase that we never even use. We basically, our off-season activities were, you know, we would play racquetball and lift and run. And you'd, 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 actually, everybody still does the same thing. You take about two weeks and do nothing. But you have to you do that just to kind of heal your mind and heal your body and kind of recognize you're in a new space and, you know, kind of do all the jobs you're supposed to do all summer and didn't get to. And, and that happens. And you reconnect with family and all that. And But... But after those two weeks are over, maybe even three, you start thinking about working out harder, and you work out. I didn't start throwing until early December, and I think mm. they're starting in uh, November now. Rick, obviously it's different for every player, and not every player is married or has kids, but that's a, that's tough. We I, I don't think about that very much, and that's got to be really, really tough to be away from the family. I call it the uh, I call it the wonderful renegotiation of your marriage because <laughs> what happens is you, you, you know all summer you don't even know the, where the furniture is in your house and then you come home and, and in two days you want to rearrange it and it's like wait a minute no the lamp doesn't go over there is a common conversation among that because you know it's like look we've been we've been going through the house without you so you yeah. know but you know not, not that we don't need you you're, you're welcome to be back but understand that. You know, we, we've got to redefine our roles here. Who does what? And so it is a it is a family kind of renegotiation, and the expectations are often different from uh, from player to uh, player's spouse. Super interesting. That that part of the world is. I mean, like that's something we don't think or talk a lot about. Is you know, we do a little bit at the trade deadline. We do a little bit when. Yeah. You know, you're talking about free agency and somebody finally getting a chance to choose where they work as opposed to right. having that decided for them. It, it's a family decision. It really is. And so every year players go through this, the longer you play, you realize that it's a precursor for retirement because retirement becomes the big re- uh, renegotiation of your family relationships, your kids, your wife, your everybody, your friends even, about where you, where you live and what your next role is. And uh, players envision their retirement of playing golf all day and having fun, and that's not what it is typically. <laughs> Although most of them now do have the money to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, you might have the money, but you might have you might not win that in the negotiation. So, you have you have half the money. So, so the other the other side's got some power too, and they should. 
Any uh, final thoughts for the week before the end of the season, Rick? My final thought, yes. Here's what I was actually thinking about this right before you called. I was thinking, can we get a do-over? Now I'm ready to rest, trust me. <laughs> but, but, but it just seems like the Cardinals, if ever, like in the backyard, playing baseball, you always got to do a do-over. That's right. You're losing five to nothing in the first, and you say, okay, do-over, let's start again. And you, we just can't do that, unfortunately, with this season. But the do-over guys, as we know in baseball, is 2024, and that's what I'm looking forward to. All right, buddy. It's uh, been a privilege and a joy to talk to you all season. Have a great offseason. I'm sure we'll be talking, but just not officially. Uh, sure thanks for everything. Thanks, Rick. Yeah you, guys, yeah, you guys are the best. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 